joy. And it's been said that the opposite of joy is fear. Theologian R.C. Sproul has said it is anxiety that robs us of our joy. And what is anxiety but fear? Fear is the enemy of joy. It is hard to be joyful when we're afraid. Now, I don't have hard numbers or statistics on the pervasiveness of anxiety and fear in our country, but I don't think I need you, I need, you need me to tell you, rather, that it's a problem. You know this. You work with people. You go to school with people. You are neighbors with them. And you know, enough people to know that many are fearful and many are anxious. People are especially fearful of things like spiders and snakes, mice and large dogs, or germs. And I learned this last week. Did you know that there's actually a phobia of long words? You know what that word is for the phobia of long words? I'm going to try it. I have it on the screen. There it is. Hippopotomonstrosis quipidaliophobia. How's that? That's a cruel joke. I don't know. Many are simply afraid of the future. But there is a type of fear that grips every human heart. And it's the place where we most desperately need true joy. And this morning we're going to look at a beloved Christmas passage from Luke's Gospel and discover the source of true joy. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me there now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read from 8 to 20. If you need to use a pew Bible, make use of that. Once you're there, please, I invite you to stand with me if you're able and follow along with me as I read. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God. Father, sin has corrupted every part of us, including our minds. May your Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and our minds this morning that we would behold the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ, and pray these things in his name. Amen. You can be seated. So Luke includes the narrative we're looking at this morning immediately after the birth of Jesus. Today, parents will uh, post a picture with a birth announcement on Facebook or something like that. Some will put pink or blue uh, balloons outside of their house, maybe with some sort of banner. Now, if you're a celebrity or have some high social standing, maybe you'll go big and hire a a videographer and have it professionally produced. But what if you're the God of the universe and the creator and the sustainer of all things? How would you announce the birth of your son? Well, of course, he sends a heavenly choir to the heads of state and to royalty, right? No, that's not what we see here. We see his divine messengers sent to a group of shepherds. And in this text, we see that their initial reaction is one of fear. But their fear will be replaced by great joy. Why do they fear? And how is their fear like the fear in every human heart? And how is it that our fear, like theirs, can be replaced with joy? These are the questions we're after this morning. So I want to show you three things in this passage uh, that teach us about joy. Uh, The first is our need for joy, our source of joy, and changed by joy. So that's where we're headed. Okay, before... We can know our need for joy. We need to understand uh, that like these shepherds, we all share a common fear. Every human being. These shepherds are, are really a picture of the fear that we all share. So what is it? Notice in verse 9, when the glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds, it says that they were filled with fear. The Greek here is actually really interesting because it it doubles up on on the word for fear to emphasize the fact that they were very afraid. So it literally reads that they were feared with fear. But why? Some commentators uh, speculate that perhaps it was the, the, the bright light, the startling nature of just the bright light in the darkness of night uh, that just startled them. But I think there's more going on here. This kind of fear is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. This fear is revealed when people get close to God and when people get close to his glory. When John sees a vision of the risen Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, it says, he says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. So here we see John's encounter with Jesus. He falls on his face as though dead. Well, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 of his writings, he sees the Lord and cries, Woe is me, 
For I am lost. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's undone here. He's, there's fear that grips him. Or when Moses encountered, encountered God in the burning bush in Exodus 3, it says that he hid his face because he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. But all of those examples, including the shepherds, are really echoes of a fear that has existed in every human heart going all the way back to the beginning. The first people, Adam and Eve, they used to walk with God and they, they loved his glory. They loved being in his presence. But one day they decided to be their own masters, to reject the Lord. And it changed everything. First, they were ashamed and hid themselves from one another. We read that they were, uh, they were vulnerable and feared being known truly by the other. And so it says that they made uh, loincloths out of fig leaves to cover themselves, to hide from one another. And secondly, we, we learn that uh, when they heard God coming, they hid themselves from him in the trees of the garden. They didn't want him to see them for who they really were. They hid. That's what fear does. It causes us to hide, to run and hide. We do it all the time. We cover up because it's too scary to be fully known by someone. Kids, you, uh, you know this feeling, right? Uh, when you're sneaking a cookie, when you were told you couldn't have one, and you hear your mom coming, what do you do? You hide, right? You go and you hide. You try to hide the evidence. Maybe you uh, literally hide behind a couch or in the closet because you need some time to finish your bite and wipe the crumbs off your mouth. It's a real fear. But it's even worse when you're caught. When you're caught with your hand in the cookie jar, right? In that moment, you're exposed and you're terrified. Adults, we do this too, but in more sophisticated ways, of course. We, we fear being known, so we cover up. We cover up to feel safe. The more layers, the better. We seek the cover of safety in things like our, our talents, our personalities, our good job. We cover ourselves with wealth and possessions. We even cover ourselves with good morals, even religiosity. There's safety there. If we can look the part and make people think a certain way about ourselves, there's, there's a comfort about that. Social media is notorious for exploiting this fear in us. When we're given the opportunity to curate an online persona where we can influence the way that people think about us based on what we tweet and what we post. And this is why mankind loves darkness. It's easier to hide, and it feels safe. But there's a tremendous fear associated with all of this, a fear of being found out, a fear of being rejected. There's this thing called imposter syndrome, which means that even though you look to be confident and successful on the outside, you're scared to death that someone will find out that you really don't know what you're doing. 
It's a fear that someone will eventually peek behind the curtain. So many of us are, are afraid to get close to people because we, we reason that if they find out what I'm really like, if they really knew about my past, if they, if they only knew, they would reject me. Pastor Tim Keller has said that the greatest fear is to be fully known and to be fully rejected. And having said all this, do you want to know what I think the most scary, most terrifying verse in the Bible is? Here it is, Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Isn't that terrifying? Now back to our shepherds. They're comfortable in the dark, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then the glory of the Lord breaks into the darkness, and they feared with fear. But the angel tells them, fear not. How is this possible? How, how can they and we be, fee- be freed from this, this fear of being fully known? fully rejected. We need to uh, know how to have our deepest fear replaced by perfect joy. And the question is here, do we find, where do we find this joy and how can we have it? This is our second point, the source of joy. Next, the angel says, fear not for behold, behold. This is the first step. There's something we need to see. And this is it in verse 10. Behold, bring your good news. Uh, the angel brings this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The news is good and the joy is great. The word for good news here is, is the Greek word that's translated all throughout the New Testament as gospel. Now hear me carefully. The gospel is good news. You're thinking, right, you just said that. But now hear me closely. The gospel is good news, not good advice. I've heard well-meaning people describe the Bible as things like an instruction manual for life, a guidebook, uh, or this is clever, uh, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? That's clever. But here's why viewing the Bible in these ways is not helpful. Uh, I'll use you uh, married ladies as an example. Uh, Imagine that your husband is serving in the military. We've got some military people here, right? Imagine your husband is serving in the military. He's deployed overseas in a hostile country, and you long for his safe return. Night after night, you go to bed not knowing how he's doing, and this keeps you awake And you're really struggling. So another military wife comes over to give you some tips, some pointers for how to survive the deployment. But soon after, another military wife comes knocking on your door and brings you good news. She tells you that your husband is home and will be walking up the driveway any minute. Which would you prefer, the good advice or the good news? This is the Bible. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's not a book of tips and self-help best practices. It's good news 
of great joy. The good news is this. Unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now there's a note of irony here because in this chapter, chapter 2 begins with news. It's news of a declaration from Caesar Augustus. But here in verses 10 and 11, the the angel uh, brings good news that a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. But these verses really are a direct affront to Caesar, who in verse 1 is is really flexing his muscles and ordering this this census to know how vast his kingdom is and to to pad his pockets with uh, more accurate taxation. There's even historical record uh, of Caesar calling himself a savior, even a deified king. The pledge of loyalty to Caesar was Caesar's Lord. He's even called himself the Son of God. But even for mighty Caesar, all of those things are at best fig leaves used to cover himself, to hide from God Almighty. But Jesus is the Christ, which means anointed one, coming, uh, the coming king in the line of David. And he is Lord, which is the Greek word used to translate Yahweh, the name of God in the Old Testament. But here we see something really unique that only occurs here in the New Testament, in Luke's Gospel. The words Christ and Lord are put together to show that this anointed king is not just of God or from God, but he is God himself. He is our Savior. But remember, God is also the one to whom all things are laid bare and for whom all must give an account. Now here's, here's good news. Remember back in Genesis how in fear Adam used fig leaves to cover themselves, Adam and Eve? Well, at the end of Genesis 3, Before God sends the first people out of Eden, there's an amazing foreshadowing to the gospel. It says that God made Adam and Eve garments of animal skins to clothe them. The fig leaf garments that they tried to make for themselves to cover themselves were worthless. But the animal skin clothes that God made would cover them perfectly. Now here's the thing. In order for Adam and Eve to be covered in this way, for animal skins to be used, something had to die. Blood had to be shed. And it's something that they were incapable of doing for themselves. Only God could do it. They could only receive it as a gift. And in the same way, Christ died, taking upon himself all our failed attempts at righteousness that only offended God. He took our fig leaves. He died on the cross, shedding his blood, and gives us his perfect record of obedience to the Father. And we use that now to cover ourselves. And we are we're powerless to do this for ourselves. We can only receive it as a gift. We have the righteousness of Christ by which to clothe ourselves, to cover ourselves. This is good news. This is gospel. 
that Christ the Lord would die and rise again from the dead to be the Savior of the world. Don't miss that. The angel uh, said, this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the fact that this birth announcement was made to shepherds demonstrates this. Because the fact is that shepherding was a despised profession in the first century in Palestine. They were outcasts. They were, uh, dis- they were distrusted and despised. Their testimony was not even admissible in a, in a court of law, which is striking and I think speaks to something of the reliability of the historical record here. You would think that if Luke were going to write a gospel uh, that's not true and try to convince everyone of it, why would he include shepherds as the first witnesses if they're distrusted in that society? You'd want to pick someone notable, right? You'd want to pick someone with some uh, credibility. But no, we see the announcement being first made to shepherds. And that, I think, gives uh, a lot of uh, credibility to the historical record here. Because if, if Luke were making this up, this would not be the way he would do it. But God sends angels to them. They're the first people to ever hear the gospel If God welcomed them, he truly welcomes all to come to him. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It doesn't matter how poor you are or how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are or how simple you are. It doesn't matter how old or young you are or what language you speak or what color your skin is. This is good news of great joy for all the people. Remember what I said earlier that uh, Tim, Tim Keller said the greatest fear is to be fully known and completely rejected. Well, the opposite is also true. The greatest joy that mankind can have and can know is to be fully known. Warts and all. Ugliness and all. Brokenness and all. To be fully known and accepted. This is good news. This is what we have in the gospel. This is what Jesus purchased for us. Acceptance with God. God has looked behind the curtain of our lives. He's seen the ugly truth of how the sausage is made. He knows us fully. He welcomes us all without discrimination who receive the garments of righteousness that Christ died and rose again to give us. This is good news. This is cause for great joy. And let me ask you, do you have this joy? If not, come to Jesus today. Trade in your fig leaves for righteousness that is lasting. Receive the perfect garments of Jesus Christ who alone can offer it to you. The Puritan Richard Sibbs once said, A good conscience is the ground of joy. This is exactly what Christ gives you. A a clear conscience before God through Jesus Christ, which is the ground of your joy. And this joy will change your life. If you truly have it, it'll it'll change your life. It'll transform you. And this is my final point. How does joy change us? Joy happens to be a theme in Luke's gospel. 
The angel tells Zechariah in chapter 1 to not be afraid because his wife was pregnant with a son who would be John the Baptist. He would go on to point others to Jesus. The angel says to Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Joy. Chapter 15, Jesus teaching, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy and heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And at the end of Luke's gospel, after Christ's resurrection from the dead, Luke says that his disciples disbelieved for joy and were marveling. You ever disbelieve for joy? Maybe a, uh, maybe a buzzer beater at the end of the game, right? You're just, you can't believe it, right? You're, you're in disbelief out of joy, right, out of what happened. This, this is how the resurrection affected uh, Jesus' disciples exponentially so. And at the very end of Luke's gospel, after Christ ascended to heaven, Luke records... And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now back to the shepherds. After encountering these angels and, and the glory of the Lord, Luke says they went with haste to go to Bethlehem to see the baby Jesus. Their joy put some wind in their sails. It put some pep in their step. I'd like to kind of see these angels, kind of, not angels, the shepherds kind of, you know, picking up the pace a little bit. Like, let's go see this. You know, let's go check this out. Then they told everyone what the, ship, what the angels proclaimed to them about the child. I have to imagine that this, this was news that just, they couldn't hold it in. Do you ever have good news? You couldn't hold in. You just had to tell someone. It was nearly impossible to not tell someone. Well, this is how I imagine this would have been. Couldn't hold it in. And in the overflow of their joy, they're the first ones in the Gospels to proclaim the Gospel. They're the first ones to share the Gospel. Not only were these shepherds the first to have the Gospel proclaimed to them, but their joy propelled them to also become the first evangelists. Notice the progression. They hear the Gospel they come to Jesus and then they tell others about Jesus. That's how it should be for us as well. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that one of the great joys of a Christian is to give the joy of Christ. And then in verse 20, I love how it says this, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. And I like to think that this means that they returned to their way of life as shepherds, but as completely changed people. People with joy, with great joy. And I have to imagine that, that people noticed this newfound joy and were attracted to it. Theologian and pastor William Barclay writes this, Joy is a winsome magnet that draws people in because it's the one thing they do not have. We live, church, in a world you know full well people lack joy and they need to see people with true joy, with great joy. And I believe they'll be attracted to it. So let me ask you, church, 
How's your joy? Has it grown cold and your evangelistic zeal dried up? If that describes you, you need to spend some time beholding, beholding the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to see time and time again. We need to go back to the well of grace and remind ourselves what we've been given. That our fig leaves have been taken in exchange for robes of righteousness, perfect righteousness by which we stand before God now, faultless and blameless, spotless. Or have you grown fearful of letting others know you because you fear their rejection? Again, you need to spend some time beholding, beholding your Savior, beholding your salvation. If you're here today and you don't know what it's not like to fear rejection, you've just been living in it your whole life, maybe it's comfortable. Like I said, in the dark, it it can be comforting to hide there. But it's, it's scary because you, you fear being found out. One day we will all be exposed before him to who sees all things, even the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. He will see it all. It will either be rejected or accepted, and it will be only based on what you did with his son Jesus. Did you accept Jesus? Did you accept the robes that he has for you, or did you try to make it on your own with your fig leaves? That will be the determining factor of acceptance or rejection on that day of judgment. So come to Jesus. Don't wait. Come to Jesus today. Be forgiven. Let him cover you with his perfect righteousness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, again, this gift of grace that you give us great joy. We thank you for the good news of the gospel Jesus, that you would come and, and live and die and rise again, taking our place as our perfect substitute, bearing the, the full weight of the wrath of God poured out on you as payment for our sin. And in exchange, you give us your perfect record of righteousness to have as our own, to stand before the throne of God on that day of judgment, blameless to be fully known, to be fully accepted. Lord, we long for that day. Come, Jesus. Come quickly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. To be fully known and fully accepted, that brings great joy. He loves us. Let's all stand.